Today's reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 3 to 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Remaining standing, let's pray together. Jesus, in you we find the life that is truly life. As we come before you this morning, help us to look for you and find you and follow you on the path that leads to life. For we know that our hope is in you alone. Amen. Please be seated.
When I was studying at Wycliffe College, I took a workshop one time that taught me how to absorb information from books without spending a lot of time reading them. It was taught by a professor who liked to assign lots of readings in his classes, but he didn't expect his students to read all the material very thoroughly. He wanted them instead to find and glean the most important ideas. The essential idea in the workshop was that you begin with the table of contents and you read it thoroughly, then you read the introduction and you read the conclusion very carefully, and you might skim the rest. It's not that what's in the middle of the book was not important, but that often the introduction and the conclusion hold the thesis statement and the best summary of the author's thought. What most, the most important ideas that the author wants you to take away from the book. And today, that's what we get in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus sums up everything that he's been talking about in one magnificent thesis statement. And then he goes on to give his final thoughts or conclusion of his sermon. So this morning, we're going to take a brief look at Jesus' thesis statement, and also the first part of his conclusion, we'll wrap it up next week, and we'll begin to see what he most wants his listeners to remember as they're walking down from the mountain that day. So verse 12, Jesus' thesis statement, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you don't know any other Bible verse, chances are you've heard this one. It's been known as the golden rule for literally hundreds of years, coined that way by an Anglican theologian in the 17th century, and it's often known in this version, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, Jesus may have been the first to state the golden rule in this way, but he wasn't actually saying something new. In fact, the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the law that shaped the Israelite nation way back at its beginning, included another famous version. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This sums up all the law and the prophets. If you've ever read the Mosaic Law laid out in the Old Testament in its entirety, you know that it's very long and very detailed. There are, in fact, 613 laws. I learned that from my fiancé yesterday. Detailing everything from how to get rid of mold and walls to how, what the punishment for kidnapping is. Not a stone is left unturned in this law. And so for Jesus to say that the golden rule essentially sums up and holds the meaning of the entire law is astounding. How can he say that? There's a wonderful little verse in Deuteronomy. In the middle of a bunch of laws about, of all things, digging latrines, you're supposed to carry your shovel with you, that spells it all out. You need to do these things because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. Therefore, your camp must be holy. God in his holiness, longing for a relationship with his people, making a way for them to be in relationship with him through the law. 
The Mosaic law was laying out a covenant between a king and his people, allowing them to coexist without God's holiness destroying the people in their sin. Restored relationship was the point of the law. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount as well, as Jesus consistently lays out the point behind the Mosaic laws and calls people to fulfill the law. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, he says, but to fulfill them, to restore our relationship with the Father, to show us the path to loving our neighbor as ourself. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive Treat others as you would wish to be treated. And having thus summed up his entire sermon in the Golden Rule, Jesus goes on to deliver a gut punch of a conclusion. Here's what the law means. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. If I were to stand up and say something like this today on my own accord, chances are I would be cancelled in a heartbeat. Not only is Jesus saying that there are only two paths, not whatever path you choose is right for you, you have to live your own truth, but just two paths, and one of them, he's saying, will lead to destruction. In fact, there is only one path that leads to life, and that path is hard to find and narrow and difficult to walk on. Oh boy, if Jesus was looking to make friends with his conclusion, he's not doing a very good job. He wants his listeners to understand one thing, that everything that has gone before Everything in this entire sermon is not a pick what you like and leave the rest kind of deal. We often make it that way. We love to hear about being salt and light, or blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are the poor, or don't worry about your life. We love to avoid passages like divorce and lust and forgiving our enemies, all the tough stuff. But Jesus is saying you can't pick and choose in this sermon. This is a package deal. It's all or nothing because there are only two paths, the narrow path that leads to life or everything else that leads to destruction. We shy away from talking about destruction or judgment in church and sometimes for very good reason. It's been both mispreached and misused far too many times in an unloving and judgmental way. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've heard Tim talking about judging our brothers and sisters and how hard that is to do in a constructive and loving way. How most of all, it requires a deep understanding of our own brokenness and forgiveness and belovedness in God's eyes and a deep life of prayer that helps us interact with others in love. Talk of judgment, and especially God's judgment, should never be lightly done. It's way too easy to find out that we're talking with a log in our eyes. But Jesus doesn't have any log in his eyes. And he doesn't shy away from talking about judgment either. Three times in this passage that we just heard, he mentions it. Three times. 
the wide path that leads to destruction. A few verses later, trees being thrown into the fire and burned. And finally, and most alarmingly, he talks about rejecting people from his presence. The Mosaic law existed to prevent people from being destroyed in their sin by the holiness of God. And the Sermon on the Mount has the same ultimate purpose, to enable us to live in the presence of God when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And those who haven't learned the way of love by following Jesus are not going to be able to survive in this kingdom of love. So the stakes are real and they're high. What we do here, the choices we make, they matter. But help is given to those who look for it. And those who seek will find. And Jesus isn't just saying, forget it, there's no hope for you, it's only a few people, it's a narrow path. He's wanting us to look for him. Wanting us to find the narrow path and gate. And so he gives us help. And here... In the conclusion of the sermon, the help takes the form of warnings about the wrong path, what to watch out for. First of all, beware of false prophets, he says in verse 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing but are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. What's Jesus talking about? Wolves in sheep's clothing. Who are the false prophets that he's talking against? Well, in the Old Testament, false prophets were characterized primarily by two things. They enticed people to worship other gods, idols, and they condoned people in injustice, in ignoring their neighbors. In other words, they encouraged people to ignore the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And so God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, says this, They, the false prophets, have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace peace when there is no peace. And later on, he says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows their own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. What narrow path? Any path you choose is fine. The gods you choose are just fine. Living for yourself, making money, ignoring justice, it's all just fine. Follow your heart. Do whatever you like. As long as you're not hurting anyone. Does that sound familiar? It's a very common mantra today. But not so, Jesus says. Beware those who aren't willing to say that actions matter. That living for yourself with no thought for God or your neighbor matters. We have a seemingly infinite capacity for listening to those who tell us what we want to hear. And equally so for self-deception. And so Jesus' second warning takes aim at that. Verse 21. If I could have avoided preaching on this paragraph, I would have. I was given it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
These have to be the most devastating words ever uttered. To be sent away from Jesus' presence. How do we avoid such a thing? The phrase workers of lawlessness could actually be translated as workers of unlaw, those who are not fulfilling the law. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that fulfilling the law is entirely impossible on our own. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says, and we confess that every single week in the words of the confession, we have fallen short. In other words, we are all workers of, unlaw- of lawlessness. It's not just 613 rules that we can try our best not to break. It's one rule, the golden rule, that we all fail at obeying all the time. We can point to all the good things we've said and all the good things we've done, the miracles and the mighty works and the casting out of demons, and they may seem very impressive. But until we're able to admit that only one person was able to fulfill this law perfectly, and we are ready to let him be our lawkeeper in our place and follow him through that narrow gate that leads to life, we will continue to be workers of lawlessness, no matter how hard we try. And that brings us to the narrow gate. Because we don't need to figure out how to obey the golden rule on our own. And we can't. But Jesus has fulfilled that law for us perfectly. And so he's made a way already for us to be in the presence of God, the holiness of God, without fear and without sin. All it requires of us is to follow him through the narrow gate onto the path of life. And it's narrow because there's only room for one person at a time. It's like a turnstile. One person encountering Jesus, offering him our sins and our burdens, our desires and our fears, everything that we have and everything that we own, everything that we are. The gate is too narrow to carry any of that through. We have to offer it to Jesus. We have to leave it behind. And then we can step with him freely and unencumbered onto the path that leads to life. And it's hard to find, because it means accepting that Jesus is the only way to life. But he's promised that those who seek will find it. It's there for anyone who wants it. And it's a difficult path, because following Jesus on this path that leads to life means dying. It means dying to self so that others might live. This is what the golden rule truly comes down to. Dying so that others might live. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It is a difficult path. And all of this may sound discouraging, counterintuitive maybe. Our culture would say that this talk of denying ourselves is unhealthy repressive, that it is only giving in to our desires and walking that wide path that we will find life. But friends, we've tried that path. I know you have. I know I have. We've believed that lie, and it's led to destruction, 
to the destruction of community, the destruction of our environment. We feel the effects of that, of our relationships, of our mental and emotional and relational and physical health. We see the results of that path, and it leads to destruction. It's the narrow path, the path of loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves and doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. That remains the only true path to joy. Because it is on this path and this path alone that we find Jesus. We find the pearl of great price. We find the greatest treasure that we could ever find. Life, true life himself. As the Apostle Paul wrote from a prison cell near the end of his life, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. In choosing to follow Jesus on this narrow path, in sacrificing everything, we find that we have in fact gained everything because we have gained Jesus. And we are not alone on this path. Jesus is our leader. He's our shepherd, our guide, and our friend. The Holy Spirit is behind us and beside us and within us, helping us, assuring us that we will reach our destination. And we have a crowd of saints around us, behind us, before us, all urging each other on. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, and with this I'll close. To enter this way means to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an invitation to live as he lived. It is an invitation to become increasingly what he was. Do not think of what you have to leave. There is nothing in that. Do not think of the losses. Do not think of the sacrifices and sufferings. These terms should not be used. You lose nothing, but you gain everything. Look at him. Follow him. And realize that ultimately you are going to be with him. And look into his blessed face and enjoy him to all eternity. He is on this way. And that is enough. He is on this way, and that is enough. Beloved church, let's follow Jesus on this narrow path. Loving God, loving our neighbors, and finding that life that is truly life. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.